So how many of you in this room um, like to experience and try new things? Just by a share of hands, like new things. Um, I am somebody who traditionally likes the same old things, same old, same old. We go vacation at the same places, eat at the same restaurants, order the same things when we eat at those restaurants. And, um, and my, my wife is, uh, is always pushing me to try new things. And sometimes when I try something new, I'm pleasantly surprised. And I think, all right, now I've got a new normal. I'll just, next time I come back here, I'll have this again. <laughs> um, and sometimes the opportunity cost of what I could have had, I just, I just end up getting so disappointed. I'm like, I should have done what I, what I knew was good. I should have just stuck with it. How many of you, so when we put it in a positive light, like experiencing new things, um, it, it seems a little bit more palatable. How many of you like change? It's kind of like the same thing, but for whatever reason, we don't really like the idea of change because sometimes you know, change means there's a new learning curve or change means that something that we love has gone away or change means that we have to, you know, that we have to convince people to come along with something that's new and different. And for whatever reason, um, I think we're more likely to kind of be resistant to change than we are to uh, want to experience new things. And what about, though, when life throws you something completely unexpected, um, just a brutal curveball, like, for instance, a pandemic or, you know, death of a loved one, or these things, they come out of the blue. And it's uncomfortable. It's uncharted territory. We have to li- learn to live in maybe a new way, learn to live without a certain person. We have to learn to step up and maybe fill a void. There's a lot of opportunities there that are associated with those curveballs that life throws us. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is kind of talk about the way that God is always doing new things. That, that ever since the beginning, he constantly is do, he's doing things in ways that people did not expect him to do it. And he can still do things like that now. And he does still do things like that now. Last year, um, on Ash Wednesday, I thought it was the first Ash Wednesday service that I had ever uh, attended, but my wife corrected me this morning and said it was actually the second. So uh, no offense to Jay, but I guess the first one wasn't that memorable. But um, <laughs> just kidding, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but so last year was the was the second Ash Wednesday service that I went to. Now, to be fair, I preached the service last year, and so some of you may have found that one forgettable. Um, but on that Ash Wednesday service, th- that date, it fell on February 26th, 2020. So if you're like me, you kind of subtly have this delineation between mid-March of 2020 and then ever since mid-March of 2020, right? So when I say that the service was on February 26th, you, you know what that means, right? That was when things were normal. That was when, that was when life was normal. That was before any of this that's happened over this past year. And so the, the message that I preached, I called it, Lose your life. And it turned out to be a lot more timely than I ever could have imagined. Um, But I believe God had a plan in it, of course, like in everything. And here's why. What we talked about at that time, we talked about giving things up for the season of Lent. We talked about evaluating the things that we treasure. We talked about defining and endeavoring to live a life of humility. And lastly, we also talked about what we believe about who God is and how he works. 
And I handed out these cards like this. This was one of them. Um, and this is what it says on these cards. Some of you may remember them. Maybe you won't, but um, it turned out to be pretty timely. So they have some blanks in them. And, and during the course of the service, I asked everybody to think about what would you fill in these blanks with? And this is what the card says. It says, blank has been given to you so that you will use that thing in a way that makes it clear that that thing is not your treasure. Christ is your treasure. God did not give you that thing so you could treasure it above him. In fact, if you do treasure it above him, it would be better if you didn't have it in the first place. And so we went home and we thought about what are some of the things that we would fill in those blanks with. And we thought about things like... um, you know, like money, family, jobs, uh, physical abilities, uh, you know, social standing. A lot of the things that we use to fill in the blanks, they're good things. But the problem comes, uh, as it often does, when these things become an end in and of themselves, rather than remaining a means to an end, and that end would be to know God more. It's when, when even our family relationships and even the good things that we have in our lives become an end in and of themselves, then we're substituting. We're substituting those things for the real purpose that God gave them to us in the first place. And so the other thing that was a little bit more obscure that, that, that I thought was an interesting way to fill in the blank was that we could fill in the blank with our knowledge about who God is. That sometimes, I was, I was listening to a podcast shortly before that Ash Wednesday, The name of the podcast was this, Faith and Certainty, Accepting Deep Doubt as a Part of Faith. And the presenter presenter on the podcast made a comment to the effect of that what you know about God can become your God. And there's implications, there's serious implications when that's the case. It's because then all of a sudden, if something happens and it doesn't fit into your mold of how God works, it can lead us to some very wrong conclusions. And it can lead us to some very wrong places, and it can lead us to really feel hopeless. If we don't believe that God has a plan, if he do, we don't believe that God is good and that he's all-powerful, it can lead us to, to a pretty sad place. And so if we have this world around us that's full of change, we have all these things that we're tempted to put before God, we have all these things that are happening that we're out of control, and where, where we are grounded, and where, especially as Christians, where we're grounded and where the world around us needs to know that we're grounded, that there's grounding for them as well, is in the true character of who God is. Our job as Christians is that we paint an accurate picture for the world around us of who God really is. Some of you know where I'm going with this. Because when God is seen for who he really is, he's, he's irresistible. I thought about ways to incorporate, because, you know, I, I've said it before, every preacher has one sermon. And that was it just now. That's my one sermon, is when God is seen for who he really is, he's irresistible. That that is what should be on the banners of our hearts. And I thought, you know, it, it, you know I, I say it a lot, right? I say it all the time. And, but it works, right? Because you knew. You knew it was coming. When God is seen for who he is, he's, really, he's irresistible. Also last year, about the same time, we had our elder retreat, which happens annually. In fact, um, it's happening next weekend. So um, I would appreciate your prayer for that. The, the elders, we're going to go meet off-site, and we're going to be spending some time about, uh, talking about uh, what's been going on at the church, uh, what's, what uh, this past year has looked like, and what the plans for this coming year are going to look like. 
And one of the things that we talked about and articulated is that the how and what of our ministry should serve as tangible evidence of the why. So that way, as we evaluate, we want to make sure that whatever, we, whatever we're doing is staying faithful to our purpose. We don't do things that don't accomplish or contribute to our why. And we definitely don't do things that detract from it. So as a church, we have, we have a purpose. We're not, just, we're not just coming here on Sunday mornings because it makes us feel good. It doesn't, it's not that just we like seeing each other. I, all these things are great. We like to sing songs. We like to pray. We like to do all these things. But we have a purpose as a church that goes far beyond what happens in these four walls and goes far beyond what happens here on Sunday mornings. And so as we talk about the how and what of, of, of who we are as a church, it's always got to be grounded in the why. And the why is that people would know God, that people would know and respond to the love of God in everything that we do. So that when storms come, so that when our foundation is shaken, that we have a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. And God has a funny way of throwing us curveballs. He has a funny way of doing things in ways that we did not see coming. He has a funny way of teaching us things that apparently we could learn no other way because I believe his plan is perfect. I believe that if if he's doing it, it's the right thing to do. That if there's things that I'm learning that I needed to learn, and it's difficult for me to learn them the way that he's teaching me, that that's probably, for, for me, that's probably what's best. He's, he's a loving father. He's giving me what I need. He's giving me what I need to hear. And there's a lot of comfort, a lot of comfort in that. We are, as a church, called to be humble examples of Christ. There's a definition of humility that I really like, and it says this, humility is the noble choice to forego your status and use your influence for the good of others. It's to hold your power in service of others. We're called to be humble. And sometimes we get, when, when, when we get too comfortable and we, we think we know better than the person next to us, or we think we know things better than God, it can lead to the opposite of that. It can lead to arrogance. We're not humble when we think we know what's best. And we're certainly not humble when we are tempted to kind of put that onto other people and onto the character of God. In difficult times, it's hard to stay humble. We get reactionary and we get ugly. So over this past year, we've had to find new ways, um, new ways to connect. We've had to find new ways to serve. We've had to find a lot of new ways. And necessity is the mother of invention, right? So over the past year, because our, as a church, we're grounded in who God is, and that it's our job to bring his love to the community around us. We're a church where every person matters. There's a lot of individual persons in very unique circumstances. And there's also, we we are also grounded in the fact that we we believe that teaching the word of God is the source that we need to, that that we always need to come back to. We place a high value on, on education. We place a high value on teaching the word of God. And so because of the efforts of so many dedicated people this past year, um, you know, we were immediately, we were able to provide live stream for our services. Uh, programs like Kids Club and VBS were taken online. We had never done that before. Um, during the warmer months, we met outside uh, so we could worship together in person. And it took a lot of different people to make that happen. And those things didn't happen by accident. Those things happened because of who we are as a church and what we value. The ability to still connect with people is imperative. There's a lot of people that are feeling lonelier than ever after this past year. 
So we learned how to do things differently. Now, not, not to pick on Jay too much, since he's not here, but when we started taking services online, there were a lot of things that we've had to learn. And obviously, we haven't gotten it perfect. But one of the things, I remember the very first Sunday morning, we were getting ready here. There were just a couple of us in the room. And, you know, we're, it's different preaching to a camera. It's, it's different preaching to a partially full room, but it's definitely different preaching to an empty room. So I told Jay, I said, there's some things you're going to you know, have to get used to. I said, now, listen, now, Jay, when you tell a joke, the room's not going to be full of laughter. You're just going to ha- have to get used to that, that people are, there's not going to be people here laughing at your jokes. And uh, I kind of suspected that it was a little easier for him to get used to that than, than maybe, uh, yeah, just like that one kind of fell flat, you know, a lot of, thank you. But, you know, we trust that people are home, and they're just probably rolling, rolling off their couches laughing every time Jay tells a joke. Um, but there's different things that, that became difficult. It became difficult to really know where people were at. Uh, part of that was that there were, there's a lot of stigma that, is, uh, that comes in when we're talking about, you know, who's, who's super cautious and who's not cautious enough and who's putting people at risk and who's putting, you know, who's de- depriving uh, people of their, of, of their presence. There's all, all kinds of things. And can I tell you that there's no place for that in the church? There's no place for that kind of dissension. There's no place for that kind of arguing. That is a minor, that's a minor thing. And and certainly, we all have different perspectives, but ultimately, to argue about things like that is not the job of the church. And to make decisions based purely on people's perceptions, it's not the job of the church either. Our job is to make decisions and to do things that honor God. That's who we're accountable to. And certainly, he's put people in place that we also are accountable to, but ultimately, we're accountable to God. We're not accountable to each other's feelings we're not accountable to, you know, to, to, to things like that. And again, I don't hear me say that I'm you know, minimizing. We shouldn't be like, offensive on purpose. But really, we can get caught up in a lot of things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Again, every person matters. And the reality is, is a lot of those persons disengaged with the church starting in March of 2020 for a lot of different reasons. Some of them, as we spoke to people, um, some of them were very legitimate. There's people who have compromised immune systems. There's people that have, for various reasons, a higher risk of contracting uh, illness or for having side effects, complications. Uh, for some, it was just the fear of the unknown. It was a new thing. It was something we hadn't experienced before. And so there was questions about what's responsible and what's not responsible. A lot of those questions, thank God, have been answered a lot this last year. There's far less speculation now than there was. But, um, but there's also some who were marginally connected from the very beginning, even before COVID. And it was, just a, it was just a convenient excuse to further disengage from the church. And for some of those people, we did a really great job of reaching out and loving them. And for some people, we didn't. And for some people, some people we, haven't, uh, we haven't heard from, we haven't seen for a long time. And, and, and we don't honestly know where they are. God knows where they are. But... There's sometimes when, when the church, even as well-intentioned as we are, we're not perfect. We fail people. We fail one another. And that's why we have, to, we have to be patient with one another. But we always have to come back to the fact that we're doing everything that we are to honor God. And a lot of that has to do with the way that we connect with one another. All of the things that, um, that I mentioned, 
as far as reasons why people disengaged. Like I said, some of them are very legitimate and some may not be. But we cannot allow these differences to foster conflict in the church. We must pray against it. We need to make every effort to remain united. And a few weeks ago, I was listening to um, some prayers from another church that was, they, they went through some really rough things in the past years. And a couple of their pastors had offered these simple one-line prayers. And two of them stood out to me as things that I thought were really appropriate and things that I thought um, we should regularly pray together here. And so, and so these, are, these are the two one-sentence prayers. First, God, guide our hearts, because in times of turmoil, they can quickly turn toward hope or cynicism. And God, guide our hands. They can foster either unity or enmity. It's very quick. It's very quick to turn a corner. And so God, guide our hearts, guide our hands. Now on to the... On to the um, the verse for this morning. It comes out of Isaiah. And sometimes we do more of an expository verse-by-verse uh, walk through the Bible. Uh, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a little bit more of a trajectory of, of a theme that waves its way all the way through the scriptures, that weaves its way all the way into our lives today. So we're going to look at a lot of different Bible verses. But the one where we're going to kind of center is out of Isaiah. It's Isaiah 43:19. It says this, Behold, I am doing a new thing, Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God is doing a new thing. And the question that we keep coming up on is, do we perceive it? That's the question that God asks us. I'm doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Other examples of this, come it comes up all over in the Bible with God doing things in unexpected and unexplainable ways. All the way from the beginning, back in Genesis, Joseph has a very famous verse. He says, as for you, speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. If you were God and you had to figure out a plan to going to keep people alive in a famine, you probably wouldn't have orchestrated um, a younger brother being beaten up, kidnapped, sold into slavery, risen to power. I mean, that, that, that was God's plan all along. You know, I, I'm sure that it wasn't, uh, it, all, it was not always 100% clear to Joseph what was happening. But God had a plan, and it was a better plan than he probably, than, than Joseph ever could have come up with on his own. A lot of the plans that God has are, are better than the things that we could come up with on our own, like all of them. <laughs> Another thing out of Habakkuk says, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. In the midst of all the things that have happened this past year that haven't been good, God has accomplished things this last year that we did not see coming. God drew people together. God taught us lessons God brought new life. God, you know, he, 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 thought, he helped us to think of new ways of doing things. All of these things, if he told us what he was going to do before he was going to do it, we wouldn't have believed it. It's the same way in the, in the Minor Prophets. It's like God is doing things. We wouldn't believe it even if he did tell us what he was up to. Again, in Isaiah, it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's a lot more going on 
than we realize. In Proverbs, Solomon says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lead on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your, straight your paths. How many times are the problems that we get into because we're just leaning on our best, our best chance of understanding on our own? We have just such a narrow view. A longer passage out of Isaiah, out of Isaiah verse, or chapter 40, says this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens and the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall, be, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God uses the weak to lead the strong. It's not by our own power. It's not by our own might. But it's by his. We need to remember that. In 1 Corinthians, now in the New Testament, Paul says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom for God, which God decreed for the ages of the, or before the ages for our glory. He goes on and says in um, chapter 13, For now we see in a mirror, mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. In his next letter to the Corinthians, he says this, For, the light, for this light momentary affliction... It, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Later on, in the same letter, he, write, he writes what was in our, um, our call to worship this morning, that we walk by faith and not by sight. We're really tempted to walk by sight. We think we, have, we, think we see things so clearly Man, are we wrong? <laughs> and then Jesus' own words, doing a new thing, something that's never been done before. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And there's more verses. I mean, we could go on and on and on. There's so many different ways where God did so many new things. Just the fact that Jesus was on the earth was a new thing that was relatively unexpected. In Romans, Paul writes, The depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. From the very beginning, God has, God has done new things. And every time human beings thought they had him figured out, he surprised them. From eternity past, God has woven together his plan for creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. And throughout that plan, he's been perplexing and astounding human beings who thought they knew how he worked. And he still does it today. Every step of the way, many of those whose views of God was incorrect or incomplete, did not quickly embrace the new things that he was doing. God is doing new things. 
He made ways when there was no way, sometimes figuratively and sometimes literally. He gave victory to armies who were vastly outnumbered. He chose the weak to shame the strong and to lead nations. He spoke powerfully through unlikely and otherwise unable people. When we were helpless to save ourselves, he stepped off his throne and entered the world that he created. God is doing new things. He spent time with sinners. He healed and called the undeserving. He told parables where the religious were the bad guys and where the untouchables were the heroes. God is doing new things. Your potential, my potential, is not simply what we believe we can do. That is far too small. Our potential is precisely God's plan for our lives. It's beyond our wildest dreams. The fact that you woke up this morning is a testament to God's plan yet to unfold in your life. He has more for you to do because he's doing new things. There are people who need to know him. Now is not a time to shrink back. It's a time to take a leap of faith. It's a time to jump headlong into the new things that God is doing. Think about how God worked through Scripture and how he still works today. The strategy of waiting for this or that to be over or this adversity to pass before we act is not something we usually see going well. How many times have you heard or how many times have you maybe said yourselves, when things get back to normal, then I will do X? Thing, I, got, I got news for you, everybody. Things aren't going to be normal. They might look a little bit more normal than we're used to, but things are always changing. The time is never going to be right. We set artificial timelines all the time, right? We set artificial timelines when we're young. We think, okay, when I graduate high school, then I'm going to start taking something seriously. When I graduate college, maybe when I get married, maybe when I have kids, maybe when I buy a house, maybe when I have a career, maybe when I get a raise, maybe when whatever it is, and those timelines tend to come and go. The time is now. If we wait till we feel prepared, we're never going to do anything. God is doing new things. It looks a lot different. And some of the things we overlook at as insignificant are exactly the types of things that we need to be all about. There are a lot of simple one-on-one -on -one interactions that we should be having. There are a lot of people who are feeling the brunt of a tough year who are feeling alone. God's hands and feet reach out to those people. God's feet run to those people. It, it might seem insignificant, but if a new way for God's church to be motivated and moved into other people's lives is because all of a sudden we face some new adversity and some new obstacles that we hadn't ever, ever faced before, that seems like just the kind of new thing that God does. God is doing new things. He's doing them all around us. He's doing them in our lives. He's doing them in our church family's lives. We have an opportunity to do new things by God's power. So when we get back to these cards and we talk about the things that we have, the things that we are, the things that we value, and why we have them. I think that um, 
We had no idea. God knew. We had no idea what was going to be taken from us shortly after February 26th last year. It was a season of Lent like no other, right? We all, some of us gave up something. All of a sudden, we're like giving up everything. So, um, but you know what? A lot of us, uh, we felt so challenged because we were so comfortable. That we had so many, when, when it came time to decide on, you know, on, on Ash Wednesday, all right, what, what are we going to give up for Lent? Realistically, the list was so long. We just have so many things we could give up because we're so comfortable. There's, we just have everything at our disposal. And so we, we would go through the list and we'd say, okay, well, I'm going to give this up. And God's like, actually, you're going to give up a lot more than that. <laughs> God did not give us comfort so that we could treasure comfort above him. In fact, he gave it to us so that we could show the world around us that comfort's not our treasure. Christ is our treasure. In fact, if we treasure comfort above him, it'd be better if we didn't have comfort in the first place. God is doing new things. We must decrease and he must increase. So God is calling you this morning. He's calling me this morning. He's calling current and future Christians around the world to embrace the new things that he's doing. So the question is, are you willing to lose to get there? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you for the new things that you're doing in our lives. We thank you for the things, the, the lessons that you're teaching us. God, we want to be as confident as we can be that you are doing the right thing, that you're teaching us things in ways that we could not learn in any other way. As we come to the table this morning, God, as we continue in our service and as we continue in prayer, God, I, I ask that you would work on our hearts. God, reveal to us areas where we need to fall in line with what you have planned for our lives. Our wildest dreams are far too small. God, you have a plan for us. And so, God, in the, in the silence of this room, I ask that you would, you would work on our hearts. Thank you so much for the new things that you're doing. Help us to see and embrace them. We ask it all for your son's sake and in his name. Amen.